Hi, I'm Elise. I'm Matt, and welcome to Pod Wraiths, a Star Trek Deep Space Nine podcast. If this is your first time joining us, we're two friends watching Star Trek Deep Space Nine and sharing both our deep and irreverent thoughts on our favorite Star Trek series. This week we're talking about Season 1, Episode 8, Dax. Teleplay by DC Fontana and Peter Allen Fields and directed by David Carson. This episode aired on February 13th, 1993. This week on Deep Space Nine, new evidence reopens a 30-year-old murder case, and Dax's previous host, Curzon, is the prime suspect. Um, before we get into that, we actually have a review this week. It's our first review. I'm very excited about it. Um, it's a five-star review, and it is <laughs> titled, May the Trek Be With You. It's from Manu, who, full disclosure, is a friend of the pod. You should listen to Manu's um, Metal Gear Solid, I think that's what it's called, podcast. Um, anyway, the... Review says, I'll admit I'm a Trek newbie and DS9 is not one of my touchstones, but the knowledge and passion and playfulness of the host makes this a delightful listen every time. Thank you, Manu. That's so nice. Yay, thank you. And I believe the Metal Gear Solid podcast is called Podcast Songs Frontiers. And we also have a guest on our show today, our friend Anya. Hi, Anya. Hi. Anya, can you tell us a bit about your Star Trek Deep Space Nine origin story? Yeah, um, so over quarantine, I started watching DS9, and it became an all-consuming thing, and I love all of them so much. All of Deep, all of Deep Space Nine is my children. The <laughs> <laughs> I think we can relate to that. Yeah. I think upon watching the finale, I just tweeted, I want to marry Cisco." <laughs> 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 That's amazing. <laughs> awesome well we're, we're really glad you're here so i guess then i'll i'll throw to to you at least first um what were some of your initial thoughts on on the episode it's a decked episode so i mean it doesn't go without saying but it goes without saying that i liked it <laughs> it will go without saying um, <laughs> eventually <laughs> there were yeah <laughs> um there were some funny things in the beginning of the episode like the fact that Keiko and and Miles were away because Keiko's mother was turning 100 and they were going for her birthday. And I have a lot of questions about that. Um, I do think that the human lifespan is longer in Trek, though, at this that's point. What I, that's what my question was. Like, it just seems like a big age gap. I think that um, in a future episode, them having like super long lifespans will be an interesting part but i don't want to give away spoilers so of course yeah this was also the first instance of someone drinking a rectagino in our series um spoiler alert that beco- becomes the uh drink of choice on uh, deep space nine but i was wondering what everyone thinks a rectagino tastes like i always thought it was similar to a latte but with some like interesting klingon flavored syrup what do you guys think? Yeah, I always read it as more of like a like a Turkish coffee, like unfiltered made just with the grounds and like really, really kind of not necessarily strong in like the caffeine sense because espresso, I think, has has more caffeine, but just strong in right. terms of like flavors and that whole kind of unfiltered. And then it has that kind of more like sludgy vibe when you're done at the bottom of the the cup. That was always my read. I, I don't know. What about you? Yeah. What about you folks? Yeah, for sure. Um, 
Have, if you've ever been a barista at Starbucks, one of the hazing rituals is that they make you drink a dead espresso shot. And like you hear all of those stories about like people ordering like 10 espresso shots and not caring what it tastes like. And because it's a Klingon thing, I feel like it's like that. Right. You know, <laughs> it's just as hardcore as you can go past the point of it necessarily being pleasing. <laughs> right. That does not sound appetizing, but I do want a Turkish coffee now. <laughs> I love Turkish coffee. At the beginning of the episode when the um when Gregory Itskin shows up, I'm predisposed not to like him or trust him because he was President Logan in 24, which is I watched before Deep Space Nine. And um so I was already skeptical of him like as soon as he showed up. I mean, it the show puts him in shadows and has him voyeuristically <laughs> watching our leads. So I think you're definitely on the right track. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. Um, but yeah, I was really excited about this being our first Dak-centric episode. We've gotten a little bit more information about the symbiont host relationship, which is interesting. Well, I like it. It's the episode's like functionally like from like a a short show lore perspective is uh kind of redefining and reestablishing what the dynamics are between a trill host and a trill symbiont because when the trill and we've talked about this before i think probably when we covered the the pilot a couple weeks ago but they did that makeup change for for the trill as well compared to when they were first introduced in the next generation episode the host and then in that episode two and and elise i know you've watched it more recently than i have as part of your your next gen watch yes but like they change the natures of kind of how what the host symbiote relationship is and i think this episode would have been very different if they had kind of kept with the rules of joining that they had had in that episode whereas this one does a very good job at teaching us a bit about jadzia and who she is teaching us a little bit more about the dax symbionts the ways you know the consistencies throughout the the symbiont and symbionts personality and then curzon's personality as well um and something i'd kind of like to I guess tease to maybe feather through our our discussion here is that i almost like this episode's called dax right and we can we can get into why it was was titled that but in some ways i feel like in some ways, I feel like the episode does a better job telling us who Curzon Dax is and not necessarily who Jadzia is yet. And I, I think that that's largely through, like, Cisco's perspective. And, like, again, like he even says in the episode that, like, he knew Curzon very well and he's just getting to know Jadzia. And, like, we respectfully as the audience are just getting to know Jadzia too, but... It kind of left me wondering too. Again, again, it's it's episode eight. They're still getting a feel. They being the writers, producers, are still getting a feel for some of the characters. So, like, I can't help but feel that I know Curzon better after watching this episode as opposed to Jadzia. In terms of developing Jadzia, they haven't even made her hair consistent yet. Yeah, like, <laughs> they're really still nailing down that character in ways that I think is like through throughout the season and. I think that's something that does come through about Jadzia here, though, is that she has, like, a strong sense of honor. Oh, that's exactly what I was going to say. Yeah. Um, she's very loyal, and um, I think that's definitely what, like, we get, but it's not necessarily insight into, like, more of the nuances of her, necessarily. 
Yeah, I think that's really all we learn is that she's she has honor and that she's loyal. (laughs) That's and she has four four uh, degrees. Oh yes, she's very very smart. Do you think she got them all at once, or are they like did she do like a double major, double minor? Like what was going on there? Well, she's she's twenty eight, and I'm thinking like so. I who knows like when you start studying for these degrees in um. Like, it's not like, you know, 18, I go off to college. We don't know how long, you know, they do their primary schooling. But my, I'm also thinking, so she's had time, but I think the last two years, she just has been dealing with, like, being joined. So all of these were done before she was 26. I just like this because it makes me feel inadequate. (laughs) (laughs) Like, okay, Jadzia, we get it. You're perfect. Like, <laughs> what I think was one criticism I had of the character early on is that she just did seem too perfect and a little bit of, like, a, a little bit of a male fantasy to some extent. Yeah, definitely. Can we get like a, a fuck Rick Berman in the chat going? Fuck Rick fuck Berman. Berman. <laughs> Every now and then I'd watch the beginning and I'd be like, oh no, Amy Dunn's cool girl speech is running through my head. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, um, I definitely think that they tried to make cool her girl. this. So I was gonna, <laughs> sorry, Elise, I didn't mean to interrupt. No, you're fine. I'm just rambling anyway. But like, I I just love like she's laser focused on her work, and Julian's trying to flirt with her, and she's just ignoring him, and it's just that part really was awesome for me. I think like one defining character trait we get from Julian from the early on is that he's Doctor Horny. <laughs> horniest yes. man on the station yeah well i was i was saying to someone earlier today um we're just talking about star trek as i want to do but we were talking a bit about um the whole idea what we at least and i've talked about on the podcast earlier and what the producers have talked about the idea of like deep space nine is like the western or frontier town and trading in like a lot of like western tropes and like julian is totally that like the new doctor that comes it's like that privileged kind of east coast dandy that comes out west for the first time and really learns what life is all about sort of deal that's kind of you know (laughs) so you're telling me that this is julian's heart of dixie moment yes (laughs) i don't know if anyone's seen that show julian heart of dixie bashir um yeah but he does follow her which i know great bob (laughs) I didn't like it. <laughs> I hated it, but I also hate that it's like she she like the way that she's kidnapped felt very like coded as it it it's not a good feeling to watch, but it's like wow, she was saved from being kidnapped because she was being sexually harassed at work. We love it. Yeah. yeah <laughs> exactly. Not 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 great. I just feel like lately I don't know if this is something that you guys see on social media, but like lately I've been seeing um, people posting stuff about like how to help your friend, your female friends feel safe. And one of the things is like offered to walk them home, but obviously like it means that only if she wants you to. <laughs> and I'm just <laughs> thinking like, you know, how people post all the what to do in this situation on on instagram anyway yeah what a what a time early uh Dax and julian moments yeah and, I, and like just like it's the way that like julian's like 
oh, she didn't say this, so it must mean that. So I'm going to do it. It's like like they made it like it would have been bad without that, but they made it so like explicitly bad. And then it's supposed to be like Julian being like charming when really he's like eroding boundaries and and, like trying to erode consent. And it's like, no, thank you. If Julian was a Cardassian, that scene would have, like, yeah, like, it would have been a villain moment. <laughs> like, Yeah. I didn't think about this earlier, but when you um, were reiterating that Matt, that um, Julian was, like, it wasn't explicit, I just made me think of, like, that scene in Summer where Jim Carrey's like, so you're telling me there's a chance. And, like, that is exactly the same tone as, <laughs> as what Julian said. Early Julian is They're- not holding up Bob. <laughs> that's true i don't like all out hate him because i know i like him later i mean his proper love interest just hasn't been introduced yet and once we get that going yeah well no i'm gonna push back a little bit on that and his proper love interest was introduced in in past prologue the just you know the the creators of the show are cowards sorry go ahead no no no. (laughs) garrick came up later oh yeah right I always forget that he was, like, right there, yeah. you know? Yeah, he that was the second episode. Oh, so good. And then they basically didn't use him them. for a long time because they were homophobic. Because they're like, whoa, <laughs> I didn't Andrew know. Robinson is playing this way I, too queer. We can't have him on the show. I didn't I didn't realize until yes, today or yesterday I was reading, because I'm, like, very much into Star Trek Twitter right now, especially Star Trek queer Twitter. I love all of you. Um. That Garrick was only in like thirty something episodes of the whole series. That is like a scandal in my he opinion. So much presence that we're even talking about him in the episode about Dax. Like <laughs> he's he's truly like in there, you know. Yeah, oh, so good. So I thought there were a lot of fun like Kira Cisco moments in this episode. Yeah, I love that, like, it really shows how much faith he has in her as, like, his number one, and also just how willing he is to sort of, like, let her take the lead in some ways. Right. Like, when um, they were trying to find out what was going on with this kidnapping, and then he, um, Kira starts asking a question of um, Elon. Elon. It's hard for me because I have a cousin named Elon, but it's spelled differently, so I don't think that they pronounced um, Gregory Itzkin's name in this show the same as my cousin, so I don't remember how to pronounce it. But um, when uh, yeah, Kira goes to ask him a question, and he's like, I'm talking with your commanding officer, or whatever he says, and he was like, no, you're talking with my first officer now. Like, it was just awesome. He's such a good captain. I love Cisco. Me too. Cisco, my DMs are open. (laughs) (laughs) I hope that you eventually get married to him. I do too. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, but also Kira's like moment of just, oh, uh, we're going to get there in a minute. Sorry. No, no, no. You can just just say whatever you're going to say. Well, no, we definitely want to discuss the loophole because I love that. (laughs) I love that. Oh, yeah. I love how much of this episode is like, what if we take the semantics to the furthest possible place to just make this yes. point? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so basically, um, just to 
explain what happened in case you didn't rewatch the episode folks um you know uh Clastrin 4 has an extradition treaty with the federation so they were like oh we can just get capture this starfleet person but really they would be they don't it's a bajoran station and they don't have an extradition treaty with bajor so um cisco was like well we need bajor's approval for all of this and then Kira figures out, because she's a genius too, everyone in the show is so smart, um, that they must have known where to find Dax because the Cardassians must have helped them with like specs for the station. So those pesky Cardassians. Always at it. I really liked the uh the kind of chemistry that brooks and visitor have in that scene and like the way that like they play it and is so like rapid fire it's like almost like they had rehearsed it before um tandro was was in the in the meeting with them and it's just it's just a really fun scene the way that they play it i liked it i liked it too it felt like almost like a song like how it was so the timing was right on what they were saying like it just just worked really well but it didn't feel like too perfect. Like it didn't feel like fake or anything where like sometimes it didn't feel like forced. It felt like from like Elliot and, uh, Oh God, Stabler and the other one on law and order. Like, you know how they're just kind of like in sync. I, I, I'm not that familiar with law and order, but I take your word. I know the dun dun part. Yeah, and that uh, Maloney is always caked up. That's, I think, most of what you need to know. <laughs> so I do think that a lot of, um, like, Sisto's liberties in this are, like, doing what he needs to get done could sort of be reflective of his relationship with Curzon. And, like, that's touched on a lot, too. Um, and, like, I don't know, Sisko's relationship with Curzon is something that we never really see, but... I think is really reflective, especially in like the beginning of the show. Um, he like says that he's part partly responsible for like who he is today. Yeah, that's a really big um, compliment. You know, you don't say that about someone that means nothing to you. That's a really it sounds like a really big deal. Yeah, for sure. And um, I think, yeah, just his how far he's willing to go to like protect Jadzia and Dax is maybe like part of that, for sure. Yeah, and I think, um, and Sis, you know, Cisco has faith that Curzon didn't murder, um, Ilan's father because of, you know, he says, you know, I know him, I know that man, and then Odo basically sets up the whole theme of the episode, saying, "But did you know the symbiont inside the man?" And that, I like that they threw that line in there early because it it really set the tone for the whole episode, with like is the symbiont and the person and the host one are they separate entities like is the symbiont is each host different because they're a different person or are they the same because they each have the same symbiont inside i don't know i found it the whole conversation to be really interesting so i'm going to i didn't put this in the note so i'm gonna apologize preemptively for the potential bomb i'm about to drop it's not really that much of a bomb it's more of like an observation where like 
I concur that that line from Odo is like the the premise of the episode basically like distilled down, right, and encapsulated for us for like what the central the question of which the drama of this episode will arise from, right? Because like you have the mm-hmm. two different versions of the answer to Odo's question, and that's what the the hearing is going to be about, and what the investigation's about, and everything else. Um, and spoiler alert: our heroes reign triumphant for reasons that we'll we'll get into here in a minute. But Cisco's logic and his reasoning to how he gets there to answer that question to Odo, like on one hand, and as the episode intends, is it's it's loyalty and it's friendship, right? But I think generally through more of like a meta lens and a meta perspective that folks and largely cis men use that too much to excuse or not believe the voices of folks who have been been wronged or, or victimized or, or traumatized by their friends, right? Where it's like, oh, my friend Bob would never do that. I know Bob. He'd never, you know, follow someone home after she said, no, I can walk home by myself. And like, I know, I know Julian and he would never do that, but Julian did it, right? So whenever I hear that argument now, that just always kind of like, sticks in my mind because like people are capable of things that we don't and even our friends are capable of things we think could be out of character in like their moments and i think that's what makes a lot of drama compelling and why people kind of connect with um and I mean, I think the whole anti-hero trope's overdone. And if you want to hear more about that, come listen to <laughs> to my Mad Men podcast. Um, but yeah, it's just like the way that we can just excuse or way we as and I'm speaking for cis men here or speaking about cis men um, are too easy to defend each other and defend our friends based on like who we think them to be and who we think them to be might not, not necessarily be who they are at all times it isn't the case of this episode and i think it's like i enjoy this episode and the central drama and things that we'll get into here but it is it is something that kind of did stuck out to me because of a couple different realms kind of outside the episode that i brought to like the reading of that one line and that one scene you definitely have like the right that's definitely a point but i do think that the setup of the episode being so reflective of like merchant of venice where I don't know, the person accusing seems like they're not necessarily out for justice. Yeah, we find out, I mean, we not at this point, but we find out in the episode that it's like an obsession for him and he doesn't even know, his. he never knew his father and it just, it just feels like, it's almost like both, like he, the, the, the accuser has like a bad faith reading of the situation also. Yeah. I do agree with you, Matt, that is not, my you know i believe my friend didn't do it because he's my friend and he wouldn't is not a good a good thing to say and to be honest you know cisco didn't know that curzon had this affair with this man's wife so there are things that he doesn't know about his friend but i did think the i still think odo's line about like did you know the symbiont was like really a good line oh 100 percent. and like and i think too we find out later in the episode that like Cisco does have or seem to have a fully three-dimensional 
understanding of who Curzon was, um, you know, in terms of his, some of his, his, what Cisco feels are like his flaws of his like character traits. It's just, I don't know, just something that like clocked for me that like I did want to kind of like mention, but I agree within the context of like the episode and what it's working with. It, it's strong thematically. And again, we're like, Cisco's like proven right in like a couple different realms. I just wanted to to mention it. No, yeah, no, you're you're. I get what you're saying. Like, there's. I mean, I and I agree with you a hundred percent. Like when someone, and unfortunately in our world, a lot of times it's a someone accusing someone of sexual assault and another person saying, "Oh, my friend would never do that." Like that's disgusting, and that is not the right way to respond to that kind of accusation at all because you don't know everything about everyone and it just also puts doubt on the accusation which is not you know which is obviously something that should be looked into always so i i agree with you that that wording is a little triggering because of you know all the reasons we've said right Sorry to kill the flow there. <laughs> no, you're fine. It's an important point. I mean, like, you're absolutely point. right, but I just think it's it's a hard example because it's such a bad faith reading that I almost feel like the show is trying to be... I don't know. The show is the one time where I'm like, yeah, I get it. Like, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, it, and that's, like, a hard place to be in, of course, where, you know, you would never want to believe that your friend would do something awful. And I think it is a character moment for Cisco where he kind of is challenged and is wrong in some ways for sure but he's still husband material and at the end of the day (laughs) (laughs) sorry you're fine i i love it one thing i found interesting um obviously cisco is points out that the warrant for dax's arrest just says dax and the crime happened 30 years ago before Jadzia was alive so his point is you know regardless of whether Dax did this it wasn't Jadzia and it's interesting and this is later in the hearing but I find it interesting how Cisco says female and male when referring to Jadzia and Curzon the arbiter says person and Elan says it and creature when referring to Jadzia or the trill and i that really i'm sure it was written on purpose that way but it really showed me that this guy Olan had like was looking at Jadzia as less than a person yeah it was definitely a way to dehumanize her like based on species in some way right in some ways and i don't know i Elon had a lot going on and he's a yikes yeah, he, he he came off to me as very like like a whiny brat almost. I don't know. But like that could actually do damage. Yeah. And it sure. it's kind of interesting if you're looking at the like kind of the three like perspectives that that offers or insights, right? So you have Cisco who is and again, he's he's using female and males this isn't like a perfect analogy because he's talking about biological sex and not not gender um but you have but like i'm gonna like maybe i shouldn't but anyways no i'll, I'll back it up so like female sex or the, the so you have cisco who's t- i mean he's not talking about 
gender he's talking about like biological sex but is is recognizing that the hosts have a different um sex that they are assigned based on you know the the host and what the host is bringing to to the joined relationship under the law the arbitrator just you know says persons because theoretically in this perfect kind of liberal ideal that justice is blind and just sees like personhood and the personhood for the arbiter isn't under up for debate it's just the um you know which person did did what or is this person accountable for the crime that they're accused and then again as as you're both saying um ilan talking about dehumanizing and further othering Judzi on the trail because it probably makes it easier for him to advocate for the death penalty if you don't see the perpetrator as human or sentient That's for sure. i didn't not i'm not arguing your larger point but i didn't read cisco's saying a female and male just to be about sex because he knew both Jadzia and Curzon, so i didn't re- i felt like he was speaking from his experience and knowing them no i i agree i agree and i'm sorry like my like me distinguishing between biological sex and and genders because those two things aren't the same thing and my original no my original version of the argument was going to be a direct more coloration to cisco using Jetsy and Curzon's preferred pronouns, but he's actually referring to their their biological sex, not their preferred pronouns. So that was where I was being. And normally, I would edit this out, but I think that this this bet um, this this is worth clarifying. Excuse me, but that was why I was kind of deliberate in not mixing my metaphors there, but still trying to make the same arguments. So I think we are on like a similar page. I just. The first version of what I was going to say potentially conflated um, biological sex and gender, even though I, those are two very different things that I didn't want to conflate, even though I guess from a certain point of view, my my argument kind of did that. But Understood. It's definitely reflective of Cisco's perception of each version of Dax. And I did like, totally, and I did like to... Um, when, when they're starting kind of the investigation and, and things like, or not investigation, but looking for, for precedents when, um, Je- when Julian and I think it's Julian and Kira, um, Kira for sure are basically going to be Cisco's, um, law clerks, um, or articling <laughs> students or whatever. And it's like, they're looking at precedent cases to see if they can affirm their answer to the question that, that the current host is not responsible for the crimes of a previous a previous host that the symbiont's not not responsible and he's like if the answer is yes then the answer is wrong and i think again <laughs> we lawyers keep coming up on on pod race here folks um still looking for our lawyer if, if you're out there listening and you want to be the, the official lawyer of the pod race but based on my lay understanding i think that's a a pretty what solid starting three? what's that sorry I'm sorry, I said it's more of a Star Wars trait to be a lawyer, yeah. I guess. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think that's a pretty solid starting point to kind of send your, your clerks out. And then, because you're looking for precedents that support your argument as a po- like, you know, and then you have to find the ones that, that don't so you can argue against them, right? So that seemed like a, a logical yeah, starting point. I mean, the only thing I would disagree with it in that is like, 
I would want to know so that I can come up with a counter argument. Oh, totally, totally, totally. Which I think is what he's telling them is develop a counter argument before bringing it before me. And I do think that line is kind of reflective of like Curzon's influence. You know, I don't know. I don't know if I agree that he wanted them to come up with a counter argument. I thought that might have been a group project, but I think he wanted to know. I might be misremembering, but I think he just wanted to know what the argument was in favor or against. It's semantics. It's not. I don't know that it's that important to. No, you're good. Wait, so you're saying the law is semantics? <laughs> Laws are all fake and made up. What? <laughs> I'm sorry to break it to you, but a lot of stuff in our society is fake and made up. Oh, what? Well, I'm I'm just gonna <laughs> let you two talk for a bit because I need to reflect on this, thinking deep thought. <laughs> <laughs> so I love Odo's investigation. Did he go to Claystrom? I like missed that. <laughs> I guess he went to see um what actually happened and meets um. The dead guy, whose name I feel like we haven't said until now, Ardalon. He meets his uh, his wife, and he's saying that Odo finds that things are not really matching up. That Curzon and Ardalon Tandro were friends. Um. Oh, I I skipped ahead. You missed. I'm sorry. So I missed most... one of. I know. I realized. <laughs> Before the most Odo. important part of the show is, of course, Quoto. So. <laughs> Yes. How can I? I like feel like I should be like punished or something. <laughs> You're good. Um, that yeah. So Quark like like basically threatens Odo into letting them use his bar for the extra extradition hearing, and I just I love all the Odo Quark scenes. It's great. Where like he's playing sheriff, but it's not annoying. Yeah, it's like a wink wink sheriff. (laughs) Yeah, Um, just using that lawful good bullshit for once. (laughs) Um, Uh, Yeah. And I love that, like, visually, the um, Odo has, like, a very flat appearance, and then, like, the Ferengi are very ridged, so they kind of, like, complete each other, you know? I kind of love that. I think that they really complement each other. No, I really like that point. That they have like kind of the costume and it's just like, oh, heart. I love that. So good. So <laughs> Odo does take the his journey, which we don't see him travel for. He just like okay. So I didn't miss anything, but he guess he goes to Clayston Four. Yeah, he shows up like it's like the next room over. Like it was. Yeah. <laughs> it's like was, season like... eight of Game of Thrones. Yeah, it was like Sorry, season seven was, was when they were just jumping from place to place in like two seconds. Fast travel. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but yeah, so he finds that Curzon and Ardalon Tandro. Tandro is a good last name. I just I really like it. Um, we're really close friends. Um, shocked face. Friends. I just want to say that, listeners, for your benefit, in the show notes by Shocked Face, Elise has put in a JPEG of a Shocked Face. Someone's <laughs> totally did. like, it's like a stock photo where someone is totally like Macaulay Culkining from Home Alone. It's a very Shocked Face. I should have put Macaulay Culkin from Home Alone. What was I thinking not doing like, that? It's also a stock photo without the stock photo like watermark. So she put like effort into that. <laughs> I definitely just pulled it off. You, you didn't buy it from Getty Images. 
No, well, we're not publishing it, so we're fine. Um, I, just... I know it's thrilling <laughs> podcasting, folks. One of the hosts describes a photo that they're looking at. I just thought of that there. Getty Images thing from that. Oh, never mind. Another time. So Odo meets Ardalan's wife, Anina, who is Eloise Hawking from Lost and was very recently in a Murder, She Wrote episode I watched. Um, I was very excited about that. Isn't she Data's mom, too? Um, yes. I actually just watched that episode, like, yesterday. So um, I tweeted about this, if anyone's interested. Um, she Come back was to Lisa's Twitter from in... four weeks ago when this gets released. <laughs> <laughs> Um, she was actually in this episode and the TNG episode in the same year. They're both in 1993. And she's been, this is only interesting to me, she was in four Murder, She Wrote episodes. I love spanning, that for her. Sorry. From, no, fine. I'm just being silly now. Spanning from 1987 to 1995. She was like friends with the casting director. Like they would just call her up. It sounds like it. Or she's just that talented, which, you know, is reflected in this episode, for sure. Yeah, she. I thought her acting was really, really good. And I have more on that later. But yeah, she was really good. Um, but it, it was funny, like, her talking about how her son never um, knew his father. And that, I guess he must have been, like, about 30. I, maybe he died, like, when he was a baby or something. But um, it just made me think of the lost episode, All the Best cowboys have daddy issues just because um there's always so many daddy issues in lost daddy issues we'll have to put a pin in that one (laughs) it turns out that the entire defense is that there was a transmission with Ardalan's whereabouts sent to someone who then kidnapped him and everyone that knew the route is accounted for except for Curzon so that is why Nilan thinks that Curzon is the one that sent the message that caused his father to get kidnapped and killed and this part was really sad when Anina finds out that Curzon's dead and that Jadzia is being accused. Her face acting was amazing. She just looks horrified. Mm. Which I think would be a horrifying like moment is realizing, oh, is it okay if I give away some spoilers here about the episode? Oh, yeah. You, we don't go, have to go in order. So, uh, yeah. Perfect. Like, yeah. imagine finding out that, like, your ex-lover, like, is being accused and also for some reason it actually ends up falling on like this third party like yeah oh my god that's like the messiest nightmare I can imagine yeah it sounds really awful and she just looks like she feels sad for herself but also really sad for Jadzia even though she doesn't know her and then it comes out that she, that her husband wasn't as great as everyone thought he was yeah he yeah. was uh uh, he was a stronger symbol in 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 death and his like martyrdom to his his cause than he actually was. Uh, I think an effective leader in general. Yeah. And stuff, right? I I think they say by the end of the episode that he was actually the one to betray everyone, and that is why he was killed. Like that, it was almost warranted. Yeah. But he doesn't. She doesn't want his her son to know because or anyone to know because it would ruin. I guess what their planet or whatever, like they would just ruin ruin their society it if that was the to come out that they needed, right? Which I guess Chris Nolan was like really into DS Nine, huh? <laughs> <clears throat> 
I really liked um, the line that she had, which is like, it's time for my place in history to change. And Odo's reaction to that line, for some reason, is like seared into my brain. And I think it's because I can't figure out if it's because he's shocked by like what she's implying or if he's reflecting on his past actions. I don't rem- can I don't recall what what did he how did he react to that like what he looks like surprised but also like deep in thought hmm. head full many thoughts I'm sure it could be either I mean Odo doesn't know a lot about himself so I feel like it was probably surprised but true I guess it's just like the role he has played in history Right. I just want you to know that a second after you said the Nolan joke, I I got it. <laughs> <laughs> but you were talking, or you were talking, and I didn't want to interrupt you. No, I'm glad. <laughs> you see, okay, here's here's my read, and like, hold on to your seats because we're gonna be here a minute. I'm holding um, on to my seat. Odo's a big fan of Hamilton, and so. <laughs> uh, So, is this where I come out and say that I find Hamilton boring and only watched half of it? And sorry. Folks. So Odo was always like, <laughs> "Who lives, who dies, who tells your story," and he's put a lot on Anina, Anina, however you say her, say her name, to uh, tell the general story, and she's she's putting herself back in the narrative, and it's all changing. So, yeah. <laughs> oh my god! Why? <laughs> Anya, are you all right over there? <laughs> Great. We're fine. Thanks. How are you? <laughs> I'm sorry. That was great. That's my favorite Star Wars line. <laughs> uh, that was wonderful. <laughs> there is something interesting in that whole conversation, too, where um, Mrs. Tandro, Alina, is that how you say it? Alina? Lina, Nina, how Nina's like I was. I wasn't allowed to get remarried. I was expected to be the like martyr's wife, and just talking about like, you know, the window into basically the the memorial prison that like she's been putting about not being able to live her own life because of mm. her husband's memory, and you know, it's almost like she's been punishing herself to in a way for the affair, right? And like. Yeah, yeah, it sounds har- a horrible way to live, honestly. And, like, it's not like she benefits from it. Like, Right. It's not like she's... It's like the reverse of the Meghan McCain scenario. <laughs> I don't understand, like, would the whole planet be angry if she remarried? Like, I just don't understand how... What a shitty puritanical society if they won't let you remarry after your husband dies like that's that's fucked up i don't like it at all yeah even if it's just because everyone is like too reverent of him to consider dating her and even if it's not because like of her role i don't know it's she needs to find like a fuck boy on another planet and just bring him so that he doesn't care about her husband is what I maybe she has a private hollow suite for now that's true. I love that for her. I hope she's has companionship. I want to know all about Question 4 and why they're so shitty. <laughs> well, they're allies of the Cardassians, so we can start there. Oh, that's oh. true. You are very accurate. Woof. Um, so when it comes to the main hearing, I love yes. the Arbiter. She has no time for any <laughs> of this. 
She's over it. I love her so much. Yeah, I liked her too. I feel like she, I recognized her and I couldn't place her and I forgot to look up why I knew her. I don't know either. I, mean, I can look up on IMDb I'm right gonna, now. I'm gonna, I'm, I'm looking it up. I just, um, she was like, very like, we're, we're gonna get this done quick. I want to be home by supper, not senility. And I was like, preach girl, you're awesome. It was wonderful. It was really great. Okay, her name is Else Renora. She's played by Anne Haney. Um, oh, I see. Okay. She was also in Next Gen. Oh. Yeah, wasn't she um in that episode where the Enterprise comes across this like decimated planet? There's just the one farm there, and it's basically the husband living alone, and she's a hologram and doesn't know whether he was an alien or protected the cottage where like it's the thing where wharf goes good tea like it's it's that episode i can't remember what it's called yeah. Like, yeah, i think she's in if that it's one episode, the, um if it's the survivors then yes yeah yeah she was oh. in mrs doubtfire and liar liar so i know her from the american president Ooh. what like joe biden <laughs> fortunately no um Sorry. it was um you're fine no it was um our president michael douglas I think he played, like, she played, like, his secretary or something in that. Is that Michael Douglas and Annette Bening? Yes, that's actually a really good movie. Written by Aaron Sorkin. That was, and directed by Rob Reiner. Aaron Sorkin, that might be my favorite Aaron Sorkin, actually. Anyway. He's someone that annoys me all the time. Aaron Sorkin? Yeah. (laughs) Fair. He doesn't write women very well, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Anyway, getting off topic about now. The newsrooms female characters for a decade. <laughs> so the arbiter also mentions that she's a hundred years old, and I'm like, like Keiko's mother, like, what's going on here? But then I realize that I think that they're just trying to, because the Dax symbiont is three hundred years old, so I think that they're just trying to make some connection about longevity or something, or I, I don't know. It's really. I couldn't play. I couldn't figure out what point they were trying to make by pointing out these ages of everybody. Pro, I like that. I think that was the intent behind it, because I, why else would you mention Keiko's mother's birthday? And like, right. like yeah, okay, I get explaining that like Chief O'Brien wasn't in the episode and having like a a reason mentioned to why that was okay, but the fact that their ages are the same, like that's. I couldn't figure it out, and then I, I like I like this this reading of it. Yeah. Um, just to kind of drive home the point, I guess. I don't know. I yeah. think it's also a good way to sort of contrast how young Jedzia is. Right. And that line that, that's is a good point too. Delivered as like you're either two hundred years older than me or younger than my granddaughter, which is something the arbiter says. Yeah. Hmm. I was his, I was kind of laughing at this like trill expert witness. <laughs> it just felt really like courtroom drama. Was the trill with Tandro when they were first uh, watching Julian and uh, Jedzia at the at the replimat? I didn't notice, but I I think maybe not. But I I honestly didn't. I didn't think to go back and check. So this is actually where we get a lot more information about the trill from this witness. 
Actually, we get the information from him and from Julian a little bit later, but basically saying that the symbiont doesn't take over the full personality of the host and vice versa. So the host can will remember all of the symbiont's memories, but it's still a different entity than like Jadzia and Dax together is not the same as Curzon and Dax together. Like she brought her own personality to the symbiont and there doesn't seem to be a way to differenti- differentiate like what's Jadzia and what's Dax. Because they're they're one now. Yeah. And it makes me kind of wonder, like, to what extent, after you become joined, do you know that? I don't know. The sense of self is so fragile, like, for humans anyway. And then this concept of just, like, having something else enter you and bring, like, another personality into you that you have to meld. And then, like, I don't know. Like, I <laughs> I feel like I could, like think about it all day, and then sleep right. well, because it's so much to process. Well, later Julian mentions, I think he says, like, 90-something hours. Like, after that long of time, the two could not survive without each other. Obviously, the host would eventually... No, sorry, the symbiont would eventually go to someone else. But I, I wonder if you only get your 93 hours to, like, get situated and then... Is, is what it is after that. I could form a personality in that amount of time. Yeah, it was like a few days. Yeah. <laughs> I can do math. Yeah, because they literally do this, like, I don't know, I feel like the Arbiter is like, could we separate them? Like, the judgment of Solomon. And they were like, no. <laughs> They're one being now. I thought it was also interesting that Julian was talking about their brainwaves and also, and like, where where did Julian get Curzon's brainwaves from? <laughs> To analyze them. Like, do you think that they just have everyone's brainwaves on file at Starfleet? Like, what if that's part of the application? It's like the Kowarashi Meru and then also the brainwave test. Like, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I just thought that was so funny. It was like he pulled him out of his ass. I don't know. (laughs) So it makes sense to me that the Federation would have, like, a joint, like, database where everyone's EMR or, like, electric medical record would be accessible across the Federation if needed. What I don't know and doesn't work for me is it's, like, what is the state and what is the Health Information Act in the Federation where, like, because there was no, like, how how is Julian allowed to access... Curzon Dax, who wasn't his patient's medical records. Would it be considered the history of... Of, the, like, Dax the as a symbiont? Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Okay, let's go with that. So maybe all of Dax's files are together, and all the ho- previous hosts, it's all together. Regardless, we I think we've established already, there's no space HIPAA. Yeah. And there's very little privacy. So, it just seems weird how... There's this information was just so readily available. <laughs> like it, it just seems to got get it so quickly. I mean, it's the future. Although right? I, I, yeah, the fax machines are really fast. Then <laughs> it's a mojo. It's this modern machine. Anyways, yeah, don't need to quote on this famous on a Star Trek podcast. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> or just you know, it's part of your personality. <laughs> that's your. That's true. <laughs> that's true. Oh, I lost my shit. 
when Cisco <laughs> said, I'd like to call on the one person who knew Curzon Dex, me. It felt like a real Elle Woods, like, Legally Blonde moment when I think there's a scene where Reese Witherspoon is like, me. And it just, like, felt like that to me. I, I think that might be the funniest courtroom trial hearing lines I've ever seen on television. Like, that. It just, like, he didn't read it comedically. It just, it was one o'clock in the morning when I was watching it, and I just was hysterically laughing. So I think it was just, like, silly time, because I was, like, really tired, and anyway, it just really was funny, and it just seemed like they were making up rules as they went along. And then Kira was asking questions now. It's just really funny. It was his, uh, the rules of hair care are simple and finite moment. Yes, 100%. Everyone knows that you don't take a shower after a perm. Sorry to spoil um, Legally Blonde for those who haven't seen it. <laughs> so good. I think we need to get Amy Brooks to do a bend and snap. Oh my god. That would be so good. I'm like envisioning it. That's why I stopped talking. <laughs> so good. No, it's, it's a very dramatic moment. Um, and I guess like the arbiter makes it very clear that this isn't a trial it's an informal hearing so you can play fast and loose with the rules but it just seemed like maybe cisco shouldn't be the other lawyer or lawyering (laughs) if he's gonna be the personal witness like anyways whatever it's fine it's fine it is fine but i found the whole thing really no i mean it is too i'm just like this makes no sense like, I mean, yeah. she wants to go home for dinner, but she doesn't want to be bored before that, so. <laughs> fair enough. Exactly. Fair enough, fair enough, fair enough, fair enough. Oh, man. <laughs> I'm, like, laughing that my eyes are tearing up. <laughs> <laughs> Which, to be fair, is not hard. It happens a lot, but. I, at first, had a hard time understanding why Jadzia was just not saying anything to clear herself. It's been 30 years since whatever happened, happened. Like, I get that she didn't want to embarrass Inanna and the Tandro family, but I didn't see how that was worth being put to death over. I think it's also that, like, it's not her, necessarily. Like, this seems like it was Curzon's story, and I think that was something that she was really grappling with. I think it's also sort of a reflection of the fact that they're still fleshing up Jadzia. Right. And this is a good shorthand for honorable, which, given the fact that Jadzia is, like, a Klingon nerd, is such a big trait of hers. That's true. Oh, also, like, of course she's the one who introduces Rectigino. Yeah, yeah, that I, that <laughs> stuck out to me as well. Um, obviously, we haven't really seen much of her, but, like, Jadzia loves Klingons. And that might be where I get my love of Klingons from, too, just because... I love her so much. We all do. She's she's cool yeah. girl. <laughs> I love her so much. Me too. Uh, I should tweet for her to marry me. And I then mean, we can have a double wedding. Oh, I'd love that for us. It would be really nice. <laughs> we could have Garrick design the dresses. Um, Obviously. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, how much of this is Jadzia's sense of honor versus Curzon's attachments? And I think maybe part of it is that, like, we don't know because maybe Jadzia doesn't. That's fair. I Oh, one thing that was almost like a felt like a continuity error to me is Elon kept saying 
becoming a trill to her as if you're not trill until you're joined and I don't that didn't doesn't make sense with what we know later because there's definitely trill that are not joined and well I think it's shorthand for his prejudice maybe oh maybe I couldn't tell if it was like the the car- the species wasn't fleshed out yet or if that guy was just an asshole and just offending everyone I mean, it's probably a bit of both <laughs> yeah yeah definitely both yeah well and Nina comes and saves the day because she finally admits to everyone that Curzon was actually in her bed with her at the time that that transmission was sent and I like the fact that no one's I think after this hearing still no one's gonna ever know about that and I think that it kind of um, is funny that everyone went through all this trouble to keep this big secret and then it comes out anyway, but it's not really coming out. I don't think the people on Kish, uh, like the planet are going to ever find out. It's like a ver- uh, Javert's resolution to Les Mis where it's like, oh, well, we figured it out, but like it didn't necessarily matter in the long run because the person was honorable anyway. I think he right. did it. But I just can't <laughs> prove it. I think you did. Anyways, yeah. No, I saw totally. Les Mis on Broadway once, but I don't remember it. I should look into that again. So I think that, does anyone have any other thoughts on like the episode before we get into our regular segments? Did we like yeah, it? Yeah, I have a big thought about it, but it comes up in my most Star Trek thing. Um, I mean, it's one of the shows that, I mean, it's one of the episodes that, like, sold DS9 to me. I think that, like, getting into Star Trek can be super overwhelming. There's just a great yeah. deal of content. And if you're going to join any of the, um, like, 90s era era shows, like, it, it you think that you're going to be watching something a little bit drier than it actually is for DS9. Because I think DS9 is more exciting in some ways. Um and I think that this show, this episode's a really good character builder, you know? Yeah. And, like, I think especially for, I mean, especially for me and kind of, like, watching DS9 every week, coming off last week's episode in Q-List, like, which I didn't really like, this one was, like, I felt like I was kind of, like, coming home again, where it's like, okay, no, this is, this is, like, my flavor of star trek i like i i enjoy this i'm on this episode's level it's like another star trek legal drama nice i can do it (laughs) yeah i i felt that way too i mean obviously at the time of recording this we haven't released the previous episode but i don't think any of us were too keen on cueless so i definitely enjoyed this a lot more i mean i love that cisco punches q I mean, that's yeah, like the best that, scene that's in that of, episode. But that's yeah. one of the highlights. You'll hear it in a few weeks. I mean, <laughs> it, that scene was great. All right. Well, that being said, I think it's time to move on to the Altair Water Thirst Quencher. This is the section where we take a big, long drink because we are thirsty bitches. So, Elise, who are you thirsting for this week on Star Trek Deep Space Nine? So, mine is very romantic this week. I loved the loving glances between Inanna and Jadzia that they give to each other at the end of the episode. Like, I was so happy that after everything, they got to have, like, a little catch-up. 
And Nina touched Jadzia's face after telling her to live. And I actually cried. And then Jadzia touches her own face where Nina had just touched her. And, like, it just was beautiful. And the way that Jadzia was, like, gazing at Nina just, it made me swoon so much. I almost wanted them to run off together. I feel that. I feel that for sure. So that that was mine. Um, well, I'm not going to objectify my husband. So um, <laughs> I actually have two. Julian, not in the beginning, obviously, but like on the stand as an in, like informed doctor was amazing. Like that. Woof. Yeah. We had a lot of information and I was listening to it. <laughs> yeah. Julian is. Um, uh, I love Julian. <laughs> Julian's great, especially when he's like in his element and like giving information. Oh, I love it. And then um, you can give Kira me something else besides information. <laughs> I mean, yeah, he's Doctor Courtney. I believe he's also like a really, regardless of what he's saying, like he's a really good storyteller. Like I just feel like I could listen to him talk for hours for sure. And then I actually have two thirsty moments. Um, my other one was how like another example of the character being in their element, but like Kira being like oh it just annoys us like that facetious little oh yes like oh my queen i'm i i yeah that rules <laughs> i'm blushing i love her. <laughs> oh i love that as the person who's normally blushing i love that someone else is blushing <laughs> i'll take that role on when i guessed <laughs> yes i love it matt the next um segment is the most star trek thing of the episode and Anya, do you want to go first? Oh man, I had so many. I would say the episode's issues being centered around daddy issues, very core track. Um, the themes of like justice and what we owe each other, very core track. Um, avoiding any gay moments through them being alien, <laughs> classic track. And of course, the Bajoran loophole for um, keeping it on DS9. That, those are all really good examples. Yeah. Oh, also hacking into their own mainframe in the beginning where they were trying to talk down where Jadzia was. <laughs> I never understand any of the techno babble, so I always just hear like, I'm hacking into the mainframe or I'm having issues hacking into our mainframe. Like, <laughs> most of track babble for me. I, th- I think my favorite, this was like, a, this is kind of like a almost a wrap up of the episode, but my most Star Trek thing was the fact that they didn't really need to figure out if Jadzia and Curzon are separate enough because the facts came out about what had happened 30 years ago and uncovered that Curzon wasn't as at fault for the crime anyway. <laughs> so like the fact that they didn't really have to take a stand on right. the like issue in the episode felt very trek to me and even just i think for me the idea of like star trek loves like a legal drama and likes like being a legal procedural once in a while because i think like pretty much a lot of the shows up to this point have had kind of those great like legal episodes and like it even goes back to there's a couple of those in the original series and it's kind of interesting to my other most star trek moment is that this episode was the last episode of star trek that dc fontana from the original series is accredited accredited writer on so one of the um founding architects of of star trek co-wrote this episode so i didn't know that history yeah no she's she's great and like basically a lot of the like spock shit 
that like we know and love and there's his relationship with his his father and like all those kind of core oh, touchstones wow. of spock that was those are huge Star yeah Trek those movies. are all like dc fontana had a direct hand and was the person who kind of like wrote wow. those and like created those so we love to see it all the best space daddies or uh sorry all the best cowboys have space daddy issues is no joke <laughs> It makes sense, too, which is, like, why I named, like, four different classic Trek moments. Like, (laughs) yeah. Does anyone else have anything to add? I loved the episode. I loved Axe. I co-signed that. So, now that we've um, wrapped up, Anya, please tell everyone where they can find you on the internet. Okay. Um, On Instagram, I am Anya Eek with five E's. Um, so it's like Anya and then E E E E E K. Um, I do a lot of like sewing and stuff there. And my Twitter handle is Anya893. Great, thank you. Um, I'm on Twitter and letterboxed at Elise underscore Tendi, E-L-Y-S-E underscore T-E-N-D-I. And you can find the show on Twitter and Instagram at Podrates, P-O-D-W-R-A-I-T-H-S. And Matt? Yeah, and you can find me on Twitter at, at MattyHugh, M-A-T-T-Y-H-U-G-H. You can also catch me talking about Mad Men on my Mad Men podcast with a couple other friends of the show. Still great, Bob. Please rate and review on the podcasting system of your choice. And if you want to email us, you can at podrace at gmail.com. Thank you again to DJ Empirical for our theme. And thank you so much for Anya for for joining us today. This has been this has been a blast. I hope you yeah, hope you'd come back at some been... point. Oh, I hope I do. I I, I plan to. <laughs> yes, we. I I definitely would love that. This has been a delight. Yeah, thank you. I had so much fun. Yay, me too. All right. Well, until next time, computer and program. Bye. Bye. All right, I stopped my recording. That was great. <laughs>